The Insurance and Injury Law Show. You know the number by now. If not, write this down. I'll give it to you throughout the show. one 990 And email help at Lots of stuff, lots of topics, lots of questions and emails to uh, to plow through on the show. So we'll get to those in just a, a few minutes here. James, you're uh, you're taking the helm. A couple weeks that was. What's uh, what's going on in your world, pal? How you doing, John? So Good, pal. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to mm-hmm. hear it. So what I want to talk to you about this week, um, there's a lady that came to see me. But before I get into that, um, when I have clients come to see me, uh, especially about long-term disability claims, the issue that they face is one of control. And so you know, they are basically at the mercy of these insurance companies that are operating within their own bounds. They, you know, they have a policy, but whether or not they follow what's in the policy, whether or not they follow the rules, do what they're legally allowed to do, is really up to them. And what I mean by that is unless they are challenged, unless somebody says, hey, you can't do that, they will do whatever it is that they want to do. And so a lot of times I have clients come to see me and say, can they do that? Well, the answer is they can do that. Is it, you know, are they legally allowed to? Well, oftentimes no, but they can do it unless you don't let them get away with it. And how do you not let them get away with it? It's very simple. You come talk to us and we can start a legal claim and hold their feet to the fire. We can take the control away from them and give it to you. Now, that doesn't mean that you are going to have to, on a day-to-day basis, deal with them anymore. We will do that. So getting back to my week that was, I had a lady come to see me. And she had a long-term disability claim that was denied. And it was for psychological issues, anxiety and depression primarily. And what was really interesting about this particular claim, John, what really stood out about it, and I've not seen this before, she was denied because she has a disabled child that she takes care of. And the rationale of the claims handler for the insurer was that, well, if you're able to to take care of your disabled child on a day-to-day basis, then you must be okay to return to work. Uh Uh-huh which is just offensive on every level. Uh, you know, it's something that I'm really, I'm looking forward to getting this claims file because there's no way that that can be justified. There is no basis to make that kind, to draw that kind of a conclusion yeah. based on someone's ability to care for their child. Um, you know, it's a type of thing that, you know, you see from time to time, but not on this level. Um, but so getting back to what I was saying at the outset, you know, can they do that? Well, they have done that. They have done that, but the only way to stop them in the long run is to bring a legal claim and say to them, no, your policy doesn't allow you to do this. It is not fair. It is not what you're allowed to do under the policy. And if you do this, not only are we going to come after you for what you owe under the policy, but we're also going to come after you for punitive and aggravated damages, for not acting fairly, for not abiding by the duty of good faith that every insurance company owes to every policyholder. one 990 and help at the Do they do that just because they think people will turtle? Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. And, you know, the sad thing is, John, the sad thing is that most of the time they're right. Most yeah. of the time people don't realize that there's another way because when they get the when they send out these denial letters there's invariably going to be language at the end that says if you disagree with our conclusion or there's any further evidence you can appeal and that sounds really inviting oh okay i guess i'm not finished yet i guess there's still a chance 
But as we talk about every week on this show, and I know we're going to talk about it at some point on this show, John, every week we talk about appeals and how this is just ceding the control back to the insurance company and saying, right. you can still keep control over this entire process um, and you can make the decision again. And guess what? If they've already decided that they're going to deny you, they're not going to change their mind, certainly not in you know this particular context when they've drawn the conclusion that because this lady can take care of her disabled child that you know she's clearly able to go back to work, which is absurd, uh, but even in most other contexts as well too. The number is one 990 9646 Again, help at the We'll get to some of your emails a little later on. Another resource for you, injurycalculator.ca. What's uh, what's up with that? You uh, you know about this one, right? Absolutely, John. So yeah. this is for people who have been injured through the fault of someone else, a car accident, a slip and fall. Um, if you've been injured in that sort of circumstance, you may be wondering, if I were to bring a legal claim, what is the value of my ca- of my case? And so part of the answer is going to depend on any income you've lost, but another part is going to be what you'll think of as your pain and suffering. And so that can be a very difficult thing to monetize, to put a dollar value on. How do you do that? You know, what is a leg injury worth? What is, you know, a broken arm worth? What is a back injury worth? Well, the answer really, the way that we answer this question is we take a look at what the courts have done in similar circumstances in the past. So we have a database of every claim in Canada where where courts have decided the value of a particular claim based on the injuries, the age of the person, and so forth. And so if you go to the injury calculator, what it's going to do, you're going to input a few uh, basic pieces of information. It's going to take you 15, 20 seconds at the most. It's going to give you an answer that will provide you with a range that your pain and suffering will be worth. Now, this is not the entire value of your claim, of course. There's going to be you know, an additional claim for any lost income, anything you're out of pocket for, um, even pension losses and that sort of thing. But if you're wondering what the value is of your pain and suffering, that is a very quick and easy way to find out. And if you want it to be, it's completely anonymous. If you go through the process and you get your answer and you'd like to talk more, you can submit it and we can we can follow up with an email or a phone call, no problem. But if you want to just find out the information, it's there for you. You just go to the injurycalculator.ca and you'll get your answer. Check it out when you got some time, even if it's just for interest's sake. That and the phone number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That email address is where we are going to go directly after a short break on the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio six forty Toronto. Insurance and Injury Law Show. Contact is simple. Get a hold of James Savan, rest of the team at one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six, or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That email. Used by Laura. Laura says, my best friend worked in a very toxic environment for several years. She was bullied and sexually harassed by her boss. She ended up going on disability and has been on long-term disability for over two years. Her adjuster was was very understanding and she was great to deal with, but now she has a new male adjuster who says that uh, she should not have been approved in the first place because this is a work issue exclusively. I don't understand how they can uh, cut her off now after over two years of saying that she is qualified. Well, this goes back to what I was saying at the top of the show, John, about what they can do, um, practically speaking, versus what they're legally allowed to do. So they can do what they've done. They've just done it. Um, Are they legally allowed to? Almost certainly not. 
Now, there's a few issues that I want to talk about in Laura's email. Number one, Laura, you know, I'm glad that you're reaching out on behalf of your best friend. Um, you know, certainly more than happy to provide you with the information. And if your friend wants, I'm more than happy to speak with her as well, too. Um, it's a good lesson for anybody out there that has a friend or loved ones um, that, you know, are suffering in similar circumstances. If they have a claim that's been denied for disability or if they've been in an accident and they want to speak to a lawyer, uh, they can certainly just give us a call. The consultation is always free. Um, or they can write, uh, if it's a disability question, to mydisabilityquestions.com and we'll answer the questions that way. Now, getting to Laura's specific questions here, um, the, you know, the issue that is um, here is, you know, there's a new adjuster that's come on the file and the adjuster is taking a bit of an aggressive approach. This is after the two-year mark. So the two-year mark is a really critical point in disability claims because after two years of benefits in virtually every policy, there is a change for the test in determining whether or not you're entitled to get your benefits. In the first two years, the test is essentially whether or not you can go back to whatever occupation you had at the time you became disabled. After two years, it becomes whether you can go back to any occupation that you can do based on your uh, education, training, and experience. So it's a tougher test after the two years. But it seems that Laura's friend has been getting the benefits for more than two years. So they've already been paying her beyond that two-year mark, beyond that change of definition where the test becomes harder. So it may just be that there's this new adjuster that is taking a more aggressive approach and is trying to find a way to cut her off. So one of the things here is, uh, that, that's brought up by Laura here is an issue about um, harassment at work um, and whether or not this particular disability that Laura's friend is suffering from is specifically related to her work environment. So what do I mean by that? If you are not able to return to your job because there's a toxic work environment, because right. there's something about you know your employment situation that is specific to your job, um, but if you were to get the exact same job somewhere else, you would be able to do it. In most policies, you wouldn't be covered for that. In most policies, um, it's really just covering you for a disability, not for a bad work environment. Um, even if it's causing you, you know, some amount of um, anxiety or even depression, if it's not generalized anxiety or depression that applies to all circumstances and would then prevent you from going to any other job, if it's just specific to the job that you have, then it might be correct that the insurance company would deny you. In this particular case, though, it sounds like you know Laura's friend um, is is suffering a fair bit more than that. I would have to take a look at the file, of course, but if Laura's friend um, has you know issues that you know are generalized to all situations and would prevent her from returning to her occupation, whether it was with this employer or any other employer, um, and frankly beyond the two-year mark to any occupation, then she'd be entitled. So I would have to take a look at the file and really understand. Um, but the fact that the you know this position coincides with a change in the adjuster suggests to me that it's really just a new adjuster trying to be aggressive, trying to improve his numbers for his own boss um, by getting rid of a few claims. And so more than likely, there's going to be something in the file that we can challenge. There almost always is. And of course, the benefit, as as we've often said, and I, I know you allude to all the time, is the fact that the other half of the firm where you work that you're part of does employment law, and they often go hand in hand. So it's not like you got to go to one firm and then down the street to the next, and there's miscommunication. It's all done in-house. 
and thereby being a lot quicker in the end. That's a great point, John. Um, the uh, Laura's friend, uh, her issue with her employer was more than two years ago. So I, I think I assume that she's actually already dealt with it. Uh, but the reality is if she hasn't, um, or even if you know she's not sure what's happening with her employer, uh, we have many very, ex- very qualified uh, employment lawyers um, that she can speak to. And it's a great benefit to have your employment lawyer and your disability lawyer at the same firm. Because there are issues that overlap, and if both lawyers are in the same firm, it's much easier to develop a strategy in order to maximize the compensation from both. If both sides don't know what the other is doing, you can get into a situation where you might get a very nice recovery um, if, you know, in an employment claim, but that is just a credit for your insurance company, so you're not really doing anything for yourself. Um, that can often be a straight deduction from a disability claim. But if both sides are working together, you can, you know, you can time it so that you're going to maximize your claim, do one first and then the other. Um, and you can try and ensure that your employment claim um, is structured in a way so that it won't be a credit towards the, the insurance claim. Lots more questions and emails on the way. Manny just got your email. We'll get to that one after a short break. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And the phone number, of course, one 990 9646 It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 990 is the number to get a hold of James Savan or a member of the team at the firm anytime. Email works uh, just as well. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So a person's injured at work and they apply for LTD. Can they also apply for workers' compensation at the same time? I know you guys get this question all the time from people. Absolutely. Um, and in most policies, you're required to. So most policies that we come across have language in it that says that you have to apply for any benefits that you might be entitled to. And if you don't, then the insurance company is entitled to a deduction for what those benefits would be. So applying for workers' compensation or CPP disability um, you know, may not wind up in you receiving any more money. But if you don't do it, the insurance company can take the position that you, they're entitled to a deduction and therefore they, they don't have to pay you the full amount and you wind up, in fact, with less in your pocket. The other benefit, of course, is if you're getting workers' compensation or, for that matter, CPP disability, and you wind up um, getting cut off by your insurance company, that doesn't have any direct impact on your workers' compensation amount or on your CPP disability. You would continue to receive those. So it's really good to have it from multiple sources. Um, so absolutely, um, whether or not you have the long-term disability claim, you can and you should apply for workers' comp. We'll get to an email. This one from Manny he says, uh, my father's 52 and he's an army vet. He worked in the high-tech industry for years. A little over a year ago, he was in a car crash, and since then, he's been experiencing nightmares from his time overseas in the Army. He's got a psychiatrist who is treating him regularly. He got short-term disability, and then he applied for LTD. Last week, he got a letter from the insurance company saying that there is no sufficient medical proof that he is disabled from working, despite what his Army psychiatrist wrote. I'm absolutely outraged, and I want him to go after them for treating him so badly. What uh, what are options? What can we do, says Manny? Well, I mean, this is what we've been talking about um, this entire show. It's about control. And so as long as 
you know, you don't bring a legal claim, you're giving the insurance company all the control. So the answer, quite simply, is we start a legal claim against the insurer. I understand, Manny, I totally understand why you're outraged. Um, I would be too in your situation, but there is something that we can do about it. We start a legal claim, we take a look at the file, we see what the adjuster has done on the case, and I guarantee you when we get that file, we're going to find any number of things that they've done improperly. Um, I would love to see what medical opinion they relied on in order to ignore what the psychiatrist your father was seeing said. Um, and, you know, I- unless, you know, they had your father seen in person, and I doubt it, or many would have told us this, in person by a highly qualified psychiatrist who looked over the entire file carefully and said, no, you know, what, what is treating psychiatrists saying is wrong. Unless they did that, um, they're going to be in a difficult spot because there is a recent case that came down and said that where an insurance company unreasonably relies on its own doctors, you know, the the people that they send typically just to look at the medical file, they don't even have the person assessed. When they rely on their own doctors in place of the opinion of treating doctors that have seen a patient on an ongoing basis and have developed an opinion um, that is in front of the insurance company and they reject it in favor of their own doctors, when they do that, not only are they going to be required to pay the benefits that the policy says they have to pay, but they're going to have to pay punitive and aggravated damages and, in some cases, damages for mental distress. And that's really embarrassing for them, and it costs them money. So they want to avoid that at all costs. So once you start a legal claim, things change very quickly because they realize, Manny, they realize that they no longer have control. They are no longer the ones that get to do whatever they want whenever they want. Now it's in the court system. Now they know that if if they're not reasonable... If they don't honestly assess your case and pay what should be paid in the case, um, that your father is going to be successful in court and it's going to be quite public, and they do not want that. So we start a legal claim and we go from there. It just seems so silly that they would attempt that. It's almost like, you know, you have a mechanic, has your car up in a hoist, he spends three hours looking underneath and making sure everything's okay. And then mechanic number two just walks around the car and says, eh, you're fine. Like, it, it just makes no sense to me why that why they, that would have any credence to the insurance company doctor who hasn't been treating a person for two, three years. Well, yeah, but this is all about motivation here because the insurance company, you know, their motivation is not to help you. You know, don't, you know, you see the commercials on TV and, you know, you you would think that these insurance companies, these insurance companies and the people that work for them are, you know, the most wonderful, loving people in the world. And they have no concern about making money. They're just, they just want to make sure that you're okay. No, no. (laughs) These are gigantic corporations that make millions and billions of dollars a year. And they do that because they make business decisions and they're very good at it. They're very good at understanding that even if there's something that legally they're not allowed to do, if they do it 10 times and only get called out on it once, it pays to, you know, to pay out on that one time because they're getting away with it nine times. And this is what they do. That's why it makes sense for them to do it that way. On that note, we'll take a short break. Get to more of your emails. That is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. The number anytime, one 9646 The Insurance and Injury Law Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 9646 Help at the insurance lawyer.ca is the email address. Dennis, next up, says my wife has been on LTD for 18 months. Her insurance adjuster told her that she should apply to go for CPP disability, which she did, but she was rejected. 
Now, because she was direct, uh, direct, uh, rejected, the insurance adjuster says that they will pay her for another four months and then stop her LTD payments. She's 49, and she has uh, very bad back issues. She's had two back surgeries, and she can't stand or sit longer uh, than 10 minutes. Her doctors have all said that she is unable to go back to work at any job at this point. The adjuster's letter said that we can appeal their decision to stop her payments. Uh, do you know how long an appeal takes? That's probably not the biggest issue. <laughs> no, it isn't. But, you know, every show, John, I feel like we have to go through this at least once. And, yep. Dennis, your email is going to be the time we go through this. So, <laughs> Dennis, you're asking about the appeals and how long the appeals takes. My answer is who cares? And I'm not saying that to be glib at all, Dennis. You know, your your wife is obviously in a very difficult situation, and I want to help, and I'm going to. But first, let me talk about the appeals for a moment. The appeal process is, you know, it, it's a fake construct. It's something that the insurance company has developed in order to prevent you from bringing a legal claim, in order to make sure that they keep control, that they are the ones that get to call the shots. And if they are successful in doing that, for two years after they denied you, then you don't have anything you can do. You can't bring a legal claim after two years. And that's what the appeal process is. So I don't know how long the appeal process takes, and I don't care because it's irrelevant. Don't do it. It's a waste of your time. If you do it, all that's going to happen, they're going to reject you again. If they've already rejected your wife once, there's not any particular reason that they're going to do it, that they're not going to do it the second or third time around. And that's what experience has shown us. Now, getting back to some of the other issues here, Dennis. Um, can they cut you off because, or your, can they cut your wife off because CPP disability has denied? No, absolutely not. It is a different test. CPP disability, the test for CPP disability is almost in all cases more onerous than the test for long-term disability, which means that whether or not CPP disability approves you, you may well still qualify for your long-term disability benefits. And given what your wife's doctors are saying, that you know she can't go back to work, that she can't stand for more than 10 minutes, and she's mm -hmm. had two back surgeries. I can't imagine a scenario where your wife isn't, in fact, entitled to these benefits, um, you know, at least for the first two years before the change of definition happens. Um, so you know, in this particular case, there's a lot that we can do, but none of it involves appealing the decision. You talk to us, we'll start a legal claim. We'll take control away from the insurance companies. Simple as that. What's the difference from a legal standpoint uh, between an objective and subjective injuries or disabilities? Do insurance companies view these differently and why? I love this question. So uh. um, an objective injury is one where there is black and white evidence that the injury exists. So you know, think of a broken bone. That's right. the classic example. There's an x-ray. You can put it in front of the trier effect and you can see that there is you know, a break there. It has happened. No one can really dispute that. Yep. A subjective injury is one where that kind of proof simply doesn't exist. Um, you know, that kind of proof can come in many different forms, but if you can't find it right now, then it's subjective. It's based on what the patient or the or, or a client is saying, um, what you know symptoms they have. It's not based on a test that shows 100% that this is what has happened. Now, does that mean that you know an objective injury is real and a subjective injury is not? No, no, it does not mean that. Um, a subjective injury in most cases simply means that medical science hasn't advanced far enough to be able to figure out exactly why this has happened. 
But, you know, over time, as medical science improves and our ability um, to test for things on a micro level gets better and better, we're able to see these things much more clearly. And so, you know, what, you know, 50 years ago might have been a subjective injury may now well be an objective injury. Right. It doesn't mean that the injury is any different. It just means our ability to detect it is different. But the courts do not distinguish between the two of them. There is no basis for you know, for an insurance company rejecting a claim because there is not an objective injury there. In fact, the courts have said exactly the opposite. They have said that, for example, chronic pain, which is the subjective manifestation of pain, um, you know, often you know, six months, a year, two years after any objective symptoms have gone away or any objective uh, measures have gone away, um, is something that the insurance companies have to compensate people for. They can't deny it just because it's based on subjective reporting of symptoms. So there is, you know, there is a difference in terms of one's ability to prove that. But where the proof exists, where you have medical opinion that says, yes, this person is suffering from this condition, whether or not there is objective proof of it or not, they are still suffering from it. Um, if you have an expert saying that they are, um, or even if you don't, even if the, the court believes that this person has this condition, then they're entitled to be compensated for it. Now, the last part of your question was, do the insurance companies view these differently and why? The answer is they certainly do. Um, you know, the, the reason for that is fairly straightforward because with an objective injury, even the insurance companies know that they can't argue that the injury exists. Now, they can argue about the impact of the injury and how long that's going to affect the person for, but they can't argue that a broken bone isn't there when there's an x-ray that says that it does. But with a subjective injury, and we see this especially with mental health claims, with subjective injuries, you know, they can take the position that it's not really there and they can fight about it. Um, even if there is excellent evidence, even if there is corroboration from many different sources, they can take the position that, you know, it's not really there or, you know, that they're malingering is the word that they like to use, which mm -hmm. basically means that they're, you know, faking the symptoms um, and take that position. Um, but it's something that the courts are really not um, very pleased with and where they see the insurance companies taking that kind of position, rejecting subjective claims because there isn't objective proof, the courts have held um, that they're not allowed to do that. In some cases, we'll find that they, that they are required to pay money on top of that, punitive damages um, for not recognizing legitimate claims. The pain and suffering component of a claim, you want to find out what it could be, what it should be. It takes about 30 seconds to go through it. Very simple tool. It's online tool. It is injurycalculator.ca. You can check that out. Uh, email to get a hold of James, Savannah, and the rest of the team. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And finally, the phone number anytime, one 990 We'll get to uh, Cheryl's email after a, a short break here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email contact. Cheryl, you're up. Says uh, my sister was told that because she has fibromyalgia and chronic pain, that she wouldn't qualify for LTD because these conditions are not serious enough. But she has pain all over her body and lives on painkillers. Her family doctor and pain specialist. Both say that she can't work because of her conditions, but she's afraid to apply for LTD because she could be rejected. In your opinion, is there enough evidence for her to apply and be accepted for LTD? And what if she, and what if she does get denied? 
Great question, Cheryl, and I'm glad that you've written to us on behalf of your sister. Um, and you know, this goes back to what we were talking about in the last segment about objective and subjective injuries. So fibromyalgia, chronic pain, um, are what might be considered subjective injuries, but uh, they are certainly disabilities that the courts have recognized on numerous occasions. Um, and the fact that your sister has pain all over her body, and as you put it, lives on painkillers, suggests to me that there is something very real there um, that she is dealing with. And the fact that her family doctor and her pain specialist both say she can't work means that the insurance company is going to have a very difficult time if they were to deny this claim. Now, you know, your sister hasn't applied yet. Um, There's no reason for her not to. The, you know, the worst case scenario, if she applies, is you know, that they deny her claim. Well, she's no worse off then than she is now. At least if she applies, you know, there's a chance that the insurance company may just accept the claim um, right out of the gate. And if they don't, we can always challenge them. But you've got to be careful. You've got to make sure that um, your, your sister starts the claim as soon as possible because there is usually a notice period um, which requires that you let the insurance company know that you have this claim within a certain number of days after you become disabled. And if you don't, it can be difficult to bring the claim later on. Now, you know, even if you've missed that period, that notice period, give us a call. Um, there are sometimes situations where that notice period can be extended, where the courts will allow you to um, essentially uh, start your application even beyond the notice period. But you don't want to have to rely on that. So it's important that we start the claim as soon as possible, get an answer from the insurance company, and if they deny the claim, then we can, then we can bring a legal claim to challenge that decision. But if your sister, Cheryl, if your sister's doctors are saying that she can't work, and if she's living, as you put it, on painkillers, especially if we're talking about narcotic painkillers, mm-hmm, yeah. um, you know, then you know it's obvious that she's dealing with something very, very serious that is preventing her from working, um, and that is you know the definition of disabled under the policy. So yes, she should apply, and if she's rejected, fine. Then let's challenge them on it. Already got the email, obviously, Cheryl, but the uh, number to follow up with James, simple, one 9646 Get to George here. He says, uh, my wife has been on antidepressants for a long time and has been seeing a psychologist for a variety of phobias. It's gotten to the point now where she won't even come out of her bedroom and we're thinking of taking her to the hospital. She was on LTD for just over a year and recently the insurance adjuster said that she would have to try to return to work program. But there is just no way she's ready for that, and her doctors, including her psychologist, all agree that she's not able to go back to work at this time. My question is, uh, what are our options if the insurance company insists that she go back to work? I mean, the options are pretty straightforward. If you know your wife has difficulty leaving the room, and if her doctors are saying she can't go back to work, then she can't go back to work. Um, so I, I don't really see how you know there's even a decision to be made here now. There will be an impact from that. Um, it sounds as though your insurance company, um, almost certainly incorrectly, has determined that your wife should go back to work and they will cut her off if she doesn't. Um, so I suspect that if she doesn't go back to work, that is what will happen. Um, but so be it. If you know they decide to cut her off in those circumstances, they are going to be exposed. And I don't just mean to paying what they are required to pay under the policy. If your wife has difficulty leaving her bedroom, if her you know if her depression issues and her phobias are so significant that you know the idea of just leaving the safety of her bedroom is one that she can't cope with on most days, then there is no way 
that anyone can possibly say that she can go back to work. So I would love to see in the file the medical justification um, that says even though she can't leave her bedroom, she's able to go back to work. I'd love to see what they have to say there. As we've been discussing on the show, when an insurance company unreasonably relies on their own medical opinion, despite the opinion of treating doctors that very clearly say that this is someone that can't go back to work, they are exposed not only to have to pay what they have to under the policy, but to pay more in addition to that. They have to pay punitive damages and in, often, in, in many cases, mental distress damages. And in this particular case, you know that's going to apply. This is someone who is obviously dealing with all kinds of issues, mental health issues. And when an insurance company says, you have to go back to work or we're going to cut you off, what do you think that does to someone in this sort of situation, John? I mean, you know, this is just unnecessarily adding significant amount of stress and anxiety to someone who is already having tremendous difficulty dealing with it. And a court's not going to be happy about that, and the insurance company is going to know it. So as soon as we bring a legal claim, as soon as we bring a legal claim, their tune is going to change very quickly because they will know how exposed they are in the circumstance. In uh, addition to the phone number we give out all the time in the show here, you have questions uh, about LTD. In fact, free questions and answers can be found at mydisabilityquestions.com. Chances are your question has been asked and answered in depth by James or Savannah. Remember the team again, mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll get back to more of your emails. That is uh, quite simply help at the insurancelawyer.ca and the phone number. We keep giving it to you, one 990 The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Back at it here, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, the number one 9646 and help at the ca. James, I know you want to get try, uh, try to get through a couple more emails before we uh, before we wrap for the day. Benjamin up next says, one of my best friends was in a car accident eight months ago, and uh, it was pretty bad. It wasn't his fault, and the doctor said that he suffered from mild traumatic brain injury. He hasn't started any claims yet, but instead decided to try to go back to work for th- uh, three times to that, and each time he's been a- unable to do his job. He works as an analyst for a large bank and worked there for the past 12 years. He's afraid that if he doesn't go back to his full-time duties, he'll lose his job. I'm really worried uh, for him and his family. He's 46, and I've known him for over 20 years. He definitely has issues with his memory and concentration. What should he and his family be doing? So, Benjamin, thank you so much for, for writing to us. Um, I want to let you know that your friend, um, you know, his, his situation is very familiar to me. Most of the people that come to see me um, are, you know, similar types of people. They, they don't want to be off work. They want to return. And that your friend has tried three times is admirable. But unfortunately, it may also be a little bit foolish. And, you know, I listen, I, I will preface everything I'm about to say with the fact, which is obvious, I'm not a doctor. Um, I am a lawyer, so I do not have medical expertise. Um, I do have experience dealing with uh, mild and, and moderate traumatic brain injury cases from a legal standpoint. Um, and I can tell you that generally um, what I see in those cases is especially early on after that type of an injury, um, generally speaking, most patients are told to, to get some rest. So, you know, I'm hoping that your friend hasn't tried to go back to work against his doctor's advice. And first and foremost, that is what I want to convey here, Benjamin, that your friend and anybody who has a mild or traumatic brain, a mild to moderate traumatic brain injury should listen to what their doctors are saying. If the doctors are saying, don't return to work,
work, then don't do it because you're risking your health. This is your brain. This is the rest of your life. So you have to listen to what your doctors are saying. Now, to get back to to your friend's specific situation, I appreciate that he may be concerned about his job going forward. But the reality is the way the way that the law works in Ontario, if someone is disabled, um, you know, it's not it's not the thing where the employer can just say, okay, well, you know, you're disabled now, you've got a brain injury, and therefore we're letting you go. It doesn't work that way. Um, and if they have an ongoing disability claim, it's very difficult for the employer um, to you know to say that okay, we're we're going to terminate your employment now. And if they do. There are significant consequences, and guess what? Our firm has employment lawyers that can deal with that. So, you know, this is a, you know an especially good firm to be dealing with when we're dealing with employment issues and disability issues. So, Benjamin, you know, the reality is your friend um, should be listening to his doctors and presuming your doctors are saying or his doctors are saying um, that he should be off work. He should be off work. He should be bringing his uh, application for long-term disability benefits. And if those benefits are denied, then we can certainly help him by bringing a legal claim. But you know, it, it sounds as though you know your your friend is you know very admirably trying to return to work, but it's just not happening for him. And if that's the situation, then you know certainly um, that's why you have disability insurance. Let's try to slide Sarah's email in here as we uh, as we get down to the last few minutes. Sarah says, last year my friend from work went on LTD, and I've kept in touch with her all this time. She was going through breast cancer treatments and was not doing too well. She's doing better now, but she's not out of the woods. She got a letter back in July that she was going to get cut off in August, and she was. She appealed the decision with the help of her oncologist, but the insurance company denied her appeal. Shocking there. Uh, should she get a second opinion from another oncologist and appeal again? What can she do at this point? Well, you know, Sarah, I, I think we, we dealt with this sort of issue a little bit earlier on when we were speaking, I believe, with Dennis earlier in the show. Oh. Um, no, um, don't appeal. And in fact, you know, what I would tell you, Sarah, um, is that, you know, your friend, you know, if she had contacted us when she got the letter back in July, she'd be three or four months ahead in the process already. Yeah. As soon as you get a letter saying that they are going to cut you off at some point in the future. You can bring a legal claim at that point, and you can start the process. You can remove control from the insurance company, and you can move it from their claims department to their legal department, and the tenor will change very, very quickly. So you know, getting a second opinion from another oncologist, that's not going to do anything. If they ignored the first oncologist, they're not going to listen to the second one. They've decided for whatever reason, they do not want to pay benefits in this case, and they are hoping that your friend isn't going to call us and start a legal claim. And so the thing to do is exactly that. You remove control from them, you start a legal claim, and you say to them, you know, you're not going to make the decisions anymore. If you, if you appeal the, their initial decision, you're just saying, you know what, whatever you guys want to do is fine, I'm okay with that, let's yeah. just keep trying over and over again. And that's useless, that's not going to do you any good. And what's going to happen, either you're going to run out of time. You have two years from the initial denial. Either you're going to run out of time and you're not going to be able to do anything, or even if you do figure it out down the road and you bring a legal claim, you're going to be that much further behind. So obviously, if you're not getting any benefits from your insurance company, that means you've got no money coming in. And nobody wants to be without their benefits or income for an extended period of time. So the longer you wait, the longer it's going to take to get it resolved. 
We are uh, done for another day. Nicely done, sir. Uh, moving forward, you want to get a hold of James Savan, member of the team. There's a bunch of different ways. First of all, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com, free questions and answers about your LTD. There's a drop-down menu. You can throw it in there. Your question might have already been asked and answered, so have a look before you do that. There is also injurycalculator.ca. You want to find out the uh, the amount, a good uh, a good starting point for the pain and suffering component of a claim. There could be a lot more to it than that, but it's simple to use. It takes about 30 seconds. You can either do it anonymously or there's a contact button at the bottom to get a hold of James and the crew. Phone number, of course, one 990 And finally, the email now that we're done for the day. You want to reach out and contact the guys, no problem. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.